Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to A Student's Perspective, the weekly series that connects students with designers, manufacturers, educators, industry professionals, and design media celebrities to hear their stories on just how they've gotten to where they are now. Through our conversations, we connect the past, present, and future of design to show just how much we can learn from each other to grow towards our fullest potential without prescribed limitations. Think of a student's perspective as a weekly design lecture series from the student's point of view. A student's perspective is a division of the nonprofit University Hall of Innovation, whose goals are to connect students with the design industry through design challenges and mentorship and a collaboration with the Marywood University Interior Architecture Program in Scranton, Pennsylvania. All interviews can be found in their video format at www.astudentsperspective.tv. For more information or sponsorship inquiries, please contact University Hall of Innovation at gmail.com. So hi everyone, we're back with another episode of A Student's Perspective. My name is Paige Bechtel and today I'm here with Dylan Garner, the Creative Director at Cohere. And so, Dylan, would you just like to just quickly introduce not only yourself, but maybe Cohere and just a little bit about your brand? Sure thing, Paige. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's exciting to, to be a part of this podcast and, you know, get a chance to kind of tell a little bit more about who I am, who Cohere is, and, and what we do. Um, so, Cohere is a, is a branding agency. We like to say that we're a non-traditional um, agency that focuses on building brands at the core of um, our purposeful work. So we, we sit at the unique intersection of design, food, impact, um, and place. Started first um, as like a placemaking agency working with a lot of rest, or, um, hospitality and commercial developers, um, making anywhere that you might live, work, or play um, its most beautiful, its most um, you know, full potential. Um, and now we work with you know anything from uh, economic projects to restaurants um, and hospitality, um, all looking to transform their spaces and make them kind of the best they can be. Um, and Cohere is in Philadelphia, but we also operate out of Baltimore, um, and we have a satellite office in New York as well. Great. Yeah, and you do a good job of talking about some of the new philosophies, I think, that Cohere is trying to really get out and talk about that intersection, which I noticed more on the website. And just use some of that language, which I don't know how you're able to wrap it up so quickly. You did a great job with that. But I have definitely a handful of questions regarding that. But I want to step back a little bit further and learn a little bit more about you. So I know you're from the su- some southern states, at least, and you have right. here as well. How has that kind of change been moving to a little bit more urban condition? Totally. It's funny. So I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and I went to Virginia Tech. So I like to say ever since I started, um, you know, my next sort of collegiate career, I was always taking steps to go north for some reason, <laughs> uh, which maybe we can unravel today. I'm trying to think about why that's happening. Um, but in going to Virginia Tech, I actually played um, lacrosse there. So I got to know almost half my teammates were from what I call the hotbed, which is like Maryland, New York, Delaware. Um, it's just kind of where lacrosse originated from or really where a lot of the girls are super talented and playing in that. So I think by nature of getting to know those girls and getting to get to know their family and then playing throughout my career, 
I was always sort of um, coming up to more uh, northern environments. And part of that, I just always really loved the cities. Not to say that southern cities um, aren't also, you know, have their charm, but I think that's exactly it. Um, you know, Philly to me had really interesting um, historical background and just incredible mixture of different types of cultures and people. And I was drawn to um, less of like a new city and one that was grounded in history and grounded in um, kind of already has been there before, but how can we revive it in a way? Um, which I think is really interesting of how even Cohere has sort of evolved as an agency and taking on projects that continue to like evolve with um, you know, the landscape of, of different um, I guess developments and, and you know, readapting those developments as well. Absolutely. I've heard a few things about that and just like the revitalization aspect that they're starting to recognize more and more. Um, and we deal a lot with adaptive reuse at my school too. Oh, so great. Message. Yeah, which is incredible. But seeing that applied to a different scale design is so interesting to me. Um, but I think it also goes to say with the people that you surround yourselves with and the people within those environments that want to create a mutual you know, well-being and sense of keeping this place alive for as long <laughs> as possible. So thinking in that same way, because I wanted to already ask about like, the revitalization and how you bring that to Cohere, how do you think that's going to apply to the ever-changing environments that Cohere has now offered us? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm like super inspired by that, um, that like train of thought and thinking. Um, I was talking to a colleague the other day about how we, we truly sit at this like really interesting sweet spot where we're working with tons of different um, developers, whether it's in the commercial space or the residential space, um, looking to revitalize these different, you know, anything from a building to a neighborhood. Um, and so in thinking about um, let's just say, for example, restaurateurs who right now are definitely struggling with, um, you know, their day-to-day -day functions and, and um, sort of how they can continue to be economically sound. Um, it's interesting how we sort of hold hands with both of those people. So we know the people that have space and need to fill it. And then we know the people that um, need space or need a larger space due to um, the parameters that COVID have. Um, has it has put on us right um so i think it's definitely the time to be creative and understand how and what connections may exist within um, our networks and how those might work together so i'm intrigued to understand kind of where that may take us um how we might be able to pass like i said if we're holding hands how can we get those two um different entities to also uh overlap and and see where that might take us so the way you kind of explain that too is that, oh, the Cohere in general is always ever-changing and evolving. That's right. And I was trying to understand a little bit more about some <laughs> of the details. And, and we get this all the time, so please, yeah. Yeah. But the way that you express kind of how you either display some of your portfolio work or things like that. Um, and what I was gathering was somewhat in snippets too, because all these brands and companies are also ever-changing. How does that kind of go working with hand-in-hand -hand people so you understand that their brand needs to change from point A to point B but several times and so does that just build a longer lasting relationship with one of these clients or how does that change from when you started? Oh that's a really good question um, in thinking about the evolutions of the company
companies or even the projects that we work with. Um, you know, part of our process is to go super deep in what we call like a discovery phase um, as our first touch point with the client. So it's a series of different types of questions from, you know, your long-term goals to your short-term goals to, you know, who are you attracting, who would you like to attract as your core audience in the future? So it's like this push between um, what might be like some short-sighted ideas or short-term goals and who and what and why and how to then also like long-term planning. And I think because we do that type of deep dive, um, it reveals many different opportunities that can be utilized either, you know, day one, um, maybe in a couple of months, maybe down the line, all the way to 10 years. Um, now, I think what we've learned and then COVID is even a great example of is that you can't, you can't predict sometimes, um, six months to a year, nonetheless, 10 years. So how we like to think about those goals or, or how we like to think about, you know, what may be discovered through a 10 year plan is, you know, these are, um, ambitions that you or the company or your project has whether those ambitions come out the other end like you thought they might um, is a different story but being able to capture those being able to then be flexible on you know which um, I guess path you might take for the next um, is essential and I think that that breeds that flexibility um, that today's world clearly <laughs> clearly needs um, but you know it can serve as like a roadmap to uh, like I said, what, what might be your six month, one year, up to 10 year kind of ambitions, goals, and, and how you might shift those core sort of principles, which we typically um, will define as your values. Um, those should never go away. They, they truly might evolve in some way or another. But um, I think that that becomes your moral compass of how you then um, you know, navigate anything from COVID-19 to um, opening a new store or a couple new stores or making that decision. Do we want to go south, east coast, west coast? Um, that's sort of how we ground our um, process, but also how we you know, leave everything on the table of what could be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it allows for more opportunities to create extensions through that core that you've already established and getting to know people so well. That's but right. I keep even thinking of... Um, Maybe it, and it's a lack of communication when people start to rebrand themselves. Mm-hmm. It's a word that I keep considering, and how maybe that's not as like, applicable to what it should be considered. And that's why it was the first thing that jumped to my mind every time I read something about evolving and kind of ever changing is because you don't necessarily need to have that contrast of a switch if you're able to continue to work off of a strong base that you've already created. That's um, right. That's right. Staying foundational. You know, there's those foundational building blocks that I think should always remain um, as like your, what I like to call your moral compass, your brand's compass on, on how to navigate X, Y, Z. Yeah. And so another thing I want to talk about, just actually let's ask your opinion in general, storytelling. What does that kind of mean to you through your brand? Nice. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like all of these um questions kind of all connect in a way um and especially when I think about like computer as an agency um you know you were just talking about evolving and how does one continue to evolve or what sort of helps um you know a company understand oh this is the best path for that evolution 
you know, we talked a little bit about Cookier as the agency, which is like, you know, it's the bread and butter, it's the core of who we are. But on top of that, in the past six months, we've had a lot of growth and evolution that has now become a part of our storytelling. I will come back with storytelling, I promise. But um, we, we recently, um, as like the, the uh, probably like in the past year and a half or so, um, and you may have seen this on our website, that we brought on an advisory service. Um, so we brought on Chef Eric Oppenholzer. He's the founder of Tim Greens, um, who brings expertise as a successful restaurateur. We may not know him here in the East Coast as much because his, most of his restaurants are out West, but he grew to the Greens to a $250 million, um, empire, partnering with Danny Meyer, who, um, you know, is it, known for Shake Shack and Union um, Square Hospitality Group. So in, in bringing someone like that, that expertise into what Cohere does, um, we saw an opportunity to begin to, you know, experiment with different dishes and, and different, you know, how can we bring to life what he's really good back, good about or good to speak to, which is impacting the food system um, in a positive manner, of course, measuring impact, helping, you know, grow different or I should say kind of younger entrepreneurs um, within their lifespan. So part of that evolution is creating what we call our Cookier Food Lab. Um, on top of that, we've also had Beta Creek, which is our sister botanical design brand. So when I think about all of these evolutions of your last question, I, I think what's nice about it is Cookier is going through some of these things as well. So being able to translate what we're learning, our experience to our clients and their projects too. Um, none of that I don't think would have been possible if we weren't able to truly grasp, you know, what I think is part of our bread and butter, which would be storytelling. So, um, how do you then translate your goals, your ideas, your concepts into, um, you know, very clear, concise messaging and language, um, that creates your brand story. Um, that's part of, I would say, you know, what we've been able to hone in on and thinking about, you know, how can we best utilize what, for instance, Eric Overholzer is good at, um, and how can we translate that to our other clients? So having our go here food lab is, is like a testing ground for some of these things. And what's great is, you know, different clients or projects can tap into this, um, these experiences that we create, um, and really, you know, get to learn new things, get to try new things, um, almost like a Q&A like you and I are doing in a micro kind of experience like that. Um, so I think, I think like as a whole, um, we worked really hard to become even better storytellers. That was not something that I would say um, was easy. I think, it, you know, we started as like a design agency. So it was all about the design. Um, how do we communicate visually? We've always had messaging a part of that. But, you know, seeing sort of how the world was headed maybe a year or two ago, um, you know, my boss, CEO, Andrew Matt Johnson, was really intrigued to be like a local mouthpiece for all our projects that we have. So we recently relaunched our website that we call like a content engine, which I think you could also, you know, synonymously say that that's a storytelling engine. Um, why do we need to wait for the New York Times to pick something up or the Washington Post or... Um, the Philly Inquirer when, um, you know, we can also kind of craft those stories and, and help, uh, you know, support the different projects that we work on and, and the do good that they're looking to also accomplish. 
absolutely. Yeah, and a lot of the blogs and things like that, I mean, it could read forever what goes on within your site and the information and knowledge that you're able to spread through your outlet, which is incredible. Um, I guess I ask all these questions about experience and storytelling because I try to find ways to overlap with my major and myself too. So I guess I didn't really explain necessarily. Yeah, tell me all about you. I'm <laughs> an interior architecture and design background. So oh, awesome. In the school of architecture we work within, but interior architecture and design kind of really break into graphics and we've had the opportunity to work with other graphic students within the fine arts program and we kind of work hand our best to in the school, but the more and more we see, like, whether it be applying for jobs or just, you know, places we draw inspiration from, whether it be firms or whatnot, a lot of them carry on interiors and graphics, and finally that branding starts to overlay. Um, but talking about experience and how these things all start to overlap, it's nice to see how it overlaps with interior field so closely, and I wanted to make these questions as almost general and thought-provoking as possible, because I wanted people and the students that are seeing this to be able to see those relationships and see how they compare outside of our field in general, because they really do affect everyone. And the fact that we can have these conversations about the ever-changing society around us and just where we all respond to the clientele and the personnel that we meet, um, how it's affecting us culturally, really. Yeah, very well said. And I think all your questions are, you know, creating that, um, you're creating your own little story with this, which is awesome. Yeah. I guess I also want to talk to you a little bit about, so just, so you've been at Cohere for seven years now, I believe too, and you started as an intern. That's right. What has that progression been like? I feel like, I mean, that's a really strong story in itself because people dream of that and be able to work up the ranks to achieve the position that you are within now. And how has your roles changed and kind of what responsibilities have you taken on since you've been a part of Cohere? That's awesome. That's a good question. Um, yeah, so it is crazy to think that um, seven years ago around this time, I was just coming out of my internship into a like junior designer role, essentially. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I kind of came into, at that time, we were called at media before we rebranded to go here. Um, I like to say I kind of been sort of guns blazing. Um, I just had finished another internship at a kind of bigger firm here, and I had soaked so much learning up, and I, but I didn't end up nailing that job or getting that job, so I was kind of like fired up to like land one. Um, and I think everything happens for a reason because it made me come into um, at media at that time with a lot of sort of um, you know hard work work ethic and like tenacity around okay no one's going to tell you what you could do here you have to kind of like pioneer that for yourself so it's almost like having your own little um one of my favorite coaches always calls it and it sounds a little narcissistic but it's not um, he calls it me ink so um in your case page ink you're the only one that's you know going to take on what you want to achieve people are out there to help you but I definitely think that, you know, you got to put it out there to the universe what you're really after. Um, and so uh, early on in one of my uh, interviews with my boss, Antoinette, I, she asked me sort of like career path, what I was looking to do. Well, I didn't realize she was asking like in that year 
um, I would think, you know, like, okay, what's your career path? And so I said, yeah, you know, at some point here, I definitely think I want to be a creative director. I'd like to lead the creative discussions. I'd love to um, really have sort of like a, a thumbprint and a say on what's going to be um, the agency's sort of like litmus test of design. Um, like I said, I didn't realize that that was going to be <laughs> you know, as soon as it was. Um, but, you know, you fast forward two years later, just sort of how things were changing within the agency and, and what needed to be happen um, and sort of the leadership role that I was taking on um, sort of led me there. And, you know, Antoinette trusted me in enough and knew that she could groom me um, into the director that I am today, which is wild to think. Um, you may notice by our website that we are what I like to call female friendly and heavy. In a way. Um, part of that is, I, I definitely think that part of it is um, intentional. It's not like in any way trying to not have men be a part of us, um, but you, you rarely see agencies um, that have maybe as many women and especially women leadership um, as Kofir does. Um, and so I think we like to leave, you know, with, with that in mind, but also, um, you know, I think just trying to be more empathetic to uh, the clients that we have, the projects, the team, um, and trying to lead with, you know, that kind of mentality, which is a little more different than some of the places and spots that I've been at um, before. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I once had to write a blog article on kind of the power of being a, I work for a firm and we are primarily female driven too oh, wow. in leadership positions, but still female strong and being able to talk about the empathy and the conversations that you're able to hold through just some of those relationships and some of our natural kind of foreign qualities. It's, it's a really fun conversation to have and to be able to talk about us and empower us in that way too, I think is a strong benefit to that. Yeah. That's incredible that you've also had that same experience. It's awesome. Yeah, it's beautiful to work with people that you can relate with so closely, definitely. Um, so could you explain for me a little bit more about what being a creative director means and maybe some of the relationships of some of the staff members that you work with closely? Or what is it like to create content in that nature, working with either designers or, say, photographers or people um, who offer that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, and why it's a good question is that I think roles and sort of um to call them like uh different names of different roles are maybe a little different in each agency or in each kind of workplace um so i oversee what i call uh the creative department so for the most part i you know review most of the work that we have help facilitate it and kind of push it to its like highest potential um but I also am a bit of a hybrid between like account executive. So I also have a couple of different clients that I, if you will, kind of lead and, and man. Um, so taking them through our process of discovery and to strategy and, you know, trying to pull out all those goals and things that we talked about earlier on, um, as well as sort of bring them through the creative process and completion execution of that project. Um, so that's been like a new role that I've taken on probably in the past year and a half or so, um, just enjoying kind of that client interaction and, um, because we're sort of small in general, um, all of our, our entire teammates, you know, no one 
though you may come in as a writer or a designer, you're going to be doing like a lot of everything, um, wearing multiple hats, which it makes every day new and exciting, (laughs) but very challenging too. Um, so as far as like (laughs) role and I'm trying to think all the different responsibilities, um, yeah, I, I kind of mix between an account executive, a creative director. I still like to get my hands dirty on a couple of things. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of <laughs> the, the nutshell. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, because I also want to ask you. Oh, this is kind of random. Well, not really random at all, but ladies' wine design. How has it fallen into, or where did you find them? And <laughs> found them but how did it come to be yeah totally um so one of my good friends but also good design friend um kelly clausen hit me up maybe about four or five years ago now which is wild to think um and said hey i just saw this new salon by jessica wash um they don't have one nearby they have one in new york but we could create one here And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. Um, So it was kind of as simple as that, which is wild to think about. Um, It just, just, you know, I still remember one of our first sort of get togethers. um, And, you know, we had maybe like four or five people who were like so nervous about it. Um, We actually had it at our old office, which was great. Um, And now, you know, the past, uh, four or five years, we've been running the Philadelphia chapter of Ladies Wine Design, which is like a salon um, mentor circle uh, for for women and non-binary people, um, just looking to talk design, creativity, um, anywhere from, you know, I guess you could say uh, processes, like it becomes this therapeutic session where, um, you know, you get to meet other women within the field um, and get to hear kind of parts of their experiences that might lend itself to you and your growth and your career. Um, So we meet monthly. Uh, COVID has made things a little bit interesting. So we've done some virtual meetups a lot like this. Um, I certainly miss the in-person though, because I just think you you get to truly sort of connect a little bit more. Um, So we're trying to figure that out ourselves and and how we might be able to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. So are people within Cohere actually a part of that as well? Yeah, so um, they, Coherians, if you will, um, have come to events and help support different events. We've collaborated with one this past January um, where we did like our discovery session um, called the 10-year plan, but with the whole like group, it was awesome. Right before COVID, so it was great to like be able to have that like last sort of like you know connection, growth, and um, community building uh, event right before everything went down, which is crazy to think about. Um, we're even talking about doing a reboot of that event, whether it's virtual or in person. We're trying to figure that out, but where we would check back in on that discovery plan, just to say, okay, how. What progress have you made? What flexibility or pivots did you need to partake in um, due to whatever circumstance it might be? Um, so we're looking forward to doing another collaboration with that soon. It sounds like a secondary kind of networking circle in itself, which is really That's nice. Right. Sometimes That's you right. design industry that crosses between 
well, just personally getting to meet people a little bit past um, kind of being in the field and out, you know, on a work day. Uh, kind yeah. Of yeah. I kind of have a two-part question, I guess, that leads off of how you kind of were able to reach people in that same like through social media. Um, mm-hmm. How that's changed. And I kind of thought that your experience would probably be the perfect scale to reference social media because I've had conversations with people young and old about it and their influence on it or how it's changed them. But I feel like within the past seven years is really when we've seen things really start to kick off, whether it be through Instagram or even LinkedIn and using these profiles as a way of reaching people. So have you seen that change, um, especially in your field specifically through marketing and graphics um, and being able to reach people as personally as possible or the perfect clientele almost? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. So my partner is a web developer, so don't tell him I said this, but I mean, I truly think that, um, social media is is almost your, your new website. Um, especially Instagram, you know, the first thing that I think, um, I guess I would say, you know, millennials, Gen Z's, like the bottom edge of, uh, you know, some of the boomers is instead of going to your website, they're going to go to your Instagram. Um, to kind of get a, a sense of your your brand's vibe, uh, what they can expect of you, um, just an overall feel for your business. Um, so it's huge. It's key. Um, and that's only one component of social media, right? Um, so our, here, at, here at Cohere, um, Antoinette you know, preaches about what we call the marketing flywheel. So if you think about it as a uh, Venn diagram, there's the blogs that you write, there's the, the posts that you do on Instagram and Facebook, maybe it's on LinkedIn, um, there's the press that you might get, so it's kind of like this, this little pie chart of all the things that you, that you do um, to get noticed or for someone to know more about you. And we like to say that there should be five to eight touch points that someone has heard you, and by that time, that's when they're either coming to your restaurant, um, you know, I must, I must check out this new apartment. Um, it, it's funny to be on like the internal side of that. Cause I am somebody who does not like to talk about myself or talk about some of the things that <laughs> I might be a part of, like I'll do it once, but you need to do it. Like she said, five to eight times on those different channels, or maybe that one channel, which could be Instagram, right? Um, for somebody to pick up on it, to truly read it. There's just so much going on. Um, there's so many different sources. You know, I'm only talking about a few, right? You mentioned a couple as well. There's so many sources of content that, you know, one person gets flooded with. So how do you, um, you know, touch that, touch that person within the many different things that they're getting. Um, and so our formula is five to eight times. And you might even be able to see that if you were to go on our Instagram yeah. Um, you know, you might be able to notice, okay, I saw, you know, one of their newest restaurants, the Wayward pop up a week ago. Oh, I just saw it pop up in their story. You know, there's so many ways to kind of, um, pop into that feed, whether that is Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, and now you can see our pivot of our website, which we call our content engine, where we will be, you know, writing our own blogs, um, posting things that we get from press. There's just, um, a multitude of ways that you can get in touch, but we find that those five to eight touch points, whether that's a social post story, email blast, um, blog, press, 
all of those will help, you know, really communicate that vibe, that feeling. So I think it's crucial, um, crucial enough that like now you need to be inspiring enough in one post that only has like, you know, 150 characters. Isn't that, yeah. So trying to take like, even what I just described (laughs) and like, Putting that into a post is, is a lot, um, but you know, creating clarity and conciseness, and then um, something that's truly inspiring and interesting um, is where we're at. And that's why I think if we think about website, how much they try to pack into there into like one post, mm-hmm. evolution forever, <laughs> forever evolving. But I think you guys have also done a great job at taking all those strategies and those things that you talk about making your kind of concise scenarios that we use on social media and some of these broader networking devices through your web page as well, because it's not, um, I don't want to say lengthy, but it doesn't feel heavy in the fact that people won't take the time to read through and understand all the resources that are there, because it's still kept in a concise manner. Um, and I think some of those snippets and the things we talked about, um, kind of relate to that and how you tell that story through your web page as well. So how did you come to know so many marketing devices and things like this? Is it just through the collaboration of people that you work with? Like even just like creating a structure of elements like that, like where you say the eight posts or something along those lines. How do you get to learn some of those elements and how they work? Yeah, that's so Whether interesting. Whether successful or not. <laughs> I know. Um, well, and I do think like it's a, um, over time we've been able to, you know, uh, clearly state that flywheel that I'm talking about. Like that's something that I feel like in the first, you know, I've been here for seven years um, and Amazon's had this company for about 15. Like I feel like um, it's, you know, whittling down to how the audience member, how the market is is moving and, and how to, um, you know, connect the best marketing tools that you can um, into one sort of roadmap. Um, so, you know, as, as marketers, we've always used, you know, we've jumped on social quite early. We used to manage a lot of accounts ourselves. And now we've, um, if you will, kind of whittled down the, you know, the, the main sort of package or, or roadmap around social media that our clients can actually run those themselves. So, you know, we'll set them up with great content, photo and video, um, a sense of like what that voice might be and they can run that themselves. Um, and that typically, you know, comes with email marketing and, and how to, um, you know, create very like, uh, clickable, um, emails. Um, and so I think it's just a matter of, you know, we've been working through these different things over a lot of time and now we're sort of whittling down to like its best use. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's hard for me to like think on how does that how does that happen? But of course, staying flexible and open to what the future, like I don't see myself on TikTok right now, but yeah. you never know. I saw Taco Bell try and do it, but I'm not sure that they did it well, you know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, I guess I also have, want to jump back to what we talked about in the very beginning about locational qualities. So I think another important part of your brand and what I came to know about Copier is that you guys want to get back to your environment and the people you surround yourselves with. So working in such an urban environment and recognizing the history, like you already said, of these communities, I think is a really strong point. 
And I think that relates back to interior as well, too, just because you were able to recognize the history that you surround yourself with in Philadelphia um, and why these built environments are so important. Mm-hmm. have extended even beyond that, too, like you said, the satellite company mm-hmm. uh, and working in New York, et cetera. How has that affected how you will possibly expand mm-hmm. working in other environments outside of Philly? Yeah. Well, so... Um Echo here, we're really pa- we're very passionate about getting out of our bubble, and I think everyone should try and be passionate about that. It's so easy to get um, comfortable or you know get distracted by whatever it might be. But um, you know, the move to expand to New York was strategic to really you know get to bump shoulders with some of the best in the business, and you know it's, it's super global there. Um, and by being able to create new networks or tap into new networks, we're able to understand and kind of grow our experience too, without having to like maybe hire someone on or without having to, you know, um, live there or have all these different projects there. Um, I think we're always looking to understand what can be best in class or cutting edge. What, and you know, you don't have to move to a certain location to, get that kind of knowledge. There's tons of different publications or, um, you know, design blogs that can really like take you to the next level, just understanding what these next level tastemakers are interested in or in the sustainability route, like, you know, seeing Patagonia create their own food products. Like, why are they doing these things? Um, I think that Antoinette has been really good about studying different um, companies that are doing these you know, what might seem like outlandish or just like what, you know, make you wonder why, why would, you know, why would someone do that um, to be able to, you know, take these learning lessons and adapt them into even our culture, our projects, um, being like these little connectors and lifelines for that. That's actually another good point. I didn't consider the trends that you guys kind of have to understand and grasp and whether it's through other business models or like, <laughs> kind of inspiration around you. Where do you guys usually gather that from? Like, from our perspective within our industry, it's kind of like the trade shows and watching yes. publications, absolutely, and magazines like that. But where's it? Where's that source primarily come from for you guys? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, certainly, some of the same, some of the same things. I know what you mean. Like uh, interior design, um, those trade shows are like gold. Um, and there are some different. Um, sort of summits, which I know is weird at this time because it's like, I think they're all going digital or virtual. Um, but there's beauty in that too because um, now anyone can attend, you know what I mean? Or you get to bump shoulders virtually um, with just about anybody. It, it sort of like takes the boundaries or the barriers off of these things, which I think we're all still trying to learn. Um, but we are certainly very lucky that um, I think the, the different leaders of our company come from different backgrounds and can now truly kind of become pillars of, of, of our company and, and sort of what they are learning. Um, so I think uh, a lot of it, a lot of it just comes from like the network of who you keep and who you know and continuing to, you know, um, go after those different moguls that you want to learn from. Um, Antoinette's been a really great inspiration in that as far as always 
having certain mentors in different diverse like um, industries. Um, you know, doesn't have to don't have to tell the people that they're your mentor, but being able to tap into these, um, you know, understanding these different business models or understanding these different trends and how they come up with their ideas, all of that just begins to sort of um, become a part of your processes and, and what you do. Um, so I would say, uh, you know, right now, blogs, events, if you can do them virtually are fine too, just to kind of get yourself re-inspired and out of your bubble. And, and yeah, I guess always listening because a lot of these conversations too are the things that you want to keep continuing to extend on their boundaries, their connections and relationships. And like you said, the mentorships, like this is where this platform the students perspective has grown for me. It's like gathered a handful of mentors that I never knew possible. And the fact that they all fall out or outside of my field is another, um, really huge. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's awesome. It's like, I mean, conversations yeah I mean it's it you know at its core is um applied to so many different things and so many different industries it just takes shape in different ways so um your principles that you learn and and are continuing to learn and grow are only going to apply themselves but it is fun like working with different architecture firms um sometimes doing the interior designs ourselves sometimes working with other interior designers just to get like a sense of how they come up with their ideas, um, collaborating with them on like how to, um, you know, I, I think just getting like re-inspired. It's very inspiring because everyone has different ways they've done it. Um, and me and my friends were just talking about this. It's crazy how like, um, you know, the more sort of experience you get, the more you're going to pick and pull with things that really work for you, um, work for your clients or projects. Um, cause everyone's a little bit different. We have our processes, but each client always presents a little something new to it. Um, cause one size, I definitely don't think it's all. So. Absolutely. And yeah. Getting to know people so closely. And I like, uh, what you had said so much earlier on about the discovery process. And right. Well, I don't know, client, but just their thoughts, their goals, their ambition. That's something that we don't talk enough about. Really the philosophy of like, I mean, half of it is philosophical, just getting to know that person in general and understanding why they think a certain way or why they're, you know, triggered by certain emotions and colors and things like that. And it's so important to stay hold to through the mm-hmm. process. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a good, it just sets a good foundation. Um, you know, sometimes we call ourselves therapists because that first, that first like questionnaire, um, it can get there, it can go deep and it doesn't always have to, right. But you are beginning to kind of unveil more than whatever that logo or facade that you have, right. Like what's behind that and why is that there? Um, kind of constantly will hear why, 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 um, to really get to like the, the meat of, um, the concept or the meat of the ideas or reasoning behind these things. So those questionnaires, uh, I just have more thoughts. <laughs> She's going to get one. Isn't she? <laughs> I think you're, but okay. <laughs> those questionnaires are they different per like if you know you're going towards someone who's in hospitality versus um just different backgrounds are they different the questions that you kind of gear towards them they i would say that like there's like the core questions um but they but they can tweak a little bit depending on the industry um just because like 
specifically like customer sets or audience members are a little different. Like, yeah, I would say that like, you know, a restaurant questionnaire and about that audience member and what they're looking for is a little bit different than like residential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, someone looking for an apartment or looking for a home um, or commercial looking to work there or, you know, trying to retain new tenants. Um, but they all sort of started off that core foundation of, of questions. And I think, and stuff like even, even now, like I've been seeing new discovery questions, um, just friends, passing friends, things around. And now I have more that I would sort of want to like tweak with that, you know, just being able to like grasp, um, whether it's deeper questions or just, um, being able to like pull out new ways of thinking, um, through them. So it's always, always truly evolving. Like we said, like we started off with, um, do you have a set of questions that you like to ask, like, and starting with a brief or anything like, you know, even if it's like a project brief, do you have some of those like, you know, ideal four to five questions that you ask to really get yourself in the game or how does that work for you? It's sort of, and very similarly, what I was also considering is that a lot of the times, um, because our our questions could get so in-depth, like the way I'm able to ask you questions that are extremely in-depth, it's like almost breaking down them and trying to simplify them in ways that they will understand, because that's the reason why we're working for them in general, is because they don't have the knowledge or the kind of background that they we do to be able to express all these things for them. That's right, that's right. Yeah, I guess it just not complicated but it is complicated to simplify things in that manner or that even means like breaking it down to what material makes you feel safe or you know comfortable and mm-hmm. we can contrast between that just by understanding those like small signifiers i think but yeah. the person um generally i think it all starts out really similar in that aspect and then your culture and your background and you know some of those influences but yeah i just love yeah. that I'm with you though. Um, driving clarity can be challenging. I, I truly think it takes a little bit of um, patience. I mean, because there's, you know, any of those questions can become um, heavy. Not so, not necessarily like in a bad way, but just like so much can come from it. So it's like, all right, well, what's truly rising to the top? How can I drive clarity of this um, answer or understanding? And that I think is is tough. But certainly, why we like to rely on um, a team and, and how, you know, utilizing those different perspectives to understand sort of what are those key points based on what we're learning. Okay, well, I guess now we're running towards the end of our time. But thank you so much for being here today. And I, this is another reason that we're so thankful that we're able to offer some of these virtual calls because, like we said, some of the conversations that wouldn't have been able to happen now are able to happen because we're able to talk See? So the conveniences of this have been pretty beneficial up until now. So we'll see how it works out for us. Yeah. Um, would you mind also telling everyone where they could reach you, whether it be on social media for yourself and Cohere, possibly? Oh, that sounds great, Paige. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm Dylan Garner, and you can find me on Instagram. This is funny. Um, at Dilio, so that's D-Y-L-I-E-O-O. Um, yeah, this is why you have to like make sure you pick good names for yourself. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. It kind of fits me though, I think. Um, and then Cohere, uh, we also have an Instagram. We're at Cohere-Co. Um, check us out. We post quite daily. We're using our marketing flywheel as much as we can to sort of pump out some of those unique stories that exist um, 
and really help promote kind of what our what our clients are up to, what Billy's up to. Um, we have a unique set of different, uh, you know, a unique network here in Philly um, that really kind of covers anywhere that you may want to eat, drink, sleep, enjoy. Um, we have we have a lot a lot to share. Yeah, I can absolutely um, verify the amount of resources that come from here. So, absolutely, we're excited to follow along and see the rest and what's to come from all these changes and everything that's happening. Yeah, okay. stay tuned with us, you too, and good luck with school and everything. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for watching another episode of Students Perspective. Thanks, babe. We hope you liked this discussion with the design industry from a student's perspective. Please like, share, and comment, and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations to come.